Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic. What makes the best leaders so good? Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, related to leading yourself and related to leading those around you. So today's episode is going to be part one of a two-part series, possibly a three-part series, depending on how much I talk and for how long, because I like to keep these short. I like I think about my own attention, uh, you know, capacity is probably like 10 minutes, 12 minutes. I know when I have guests, those are longer because that's... Uh, two-way conversation, but for these, I like to keep them short, and hopefully you like that. So I love your feedback if you like them short or you want them longer, but uh, today I'm going to spend about 10 to 12 minutes on uh, topic number, part one of topic today, and then uh, we'll do another one and possibly a third. So in any event, I've worked a lot recently with leaders on the power, and I mean power, of asking great questions. And uh, the feedback response and the results has been outstanding. And I wanted to share some of those because I think some of these questions are questions, no doubt, that changed my career, changed my life in some respects. Um, And I've learned some of these. I'll give credit where credit's due because I've learned these questions from others, some of these questions, um, many of these questions, some of them I thought of. But um, these have been really, really impactful. And I, I think of leadership, leading myself as well as leading an influence on other people. And the best leaders are those that really ask great questions. It's not about giving the right answers. It's about asking the right questions, asking myself certain things and asking those that I lead certain things. So I will go through them with you. Some of the ones that I've found most impactful, what, I've, what I would ask you is send me the questions that you find to be most impactful. Whether there's some that you heard today or in these episodes, but also those that you know, questions that you've used, that you've heard, that you've been asked, that have really made an impact, because I'd love to put these together and maybe get it out to everybody in some way. Uh, real quickly, before I forget, because I may at the end, September 22nd, coming up right around the corner, is our live leadership mastermind. We're going to be talking about really, really cool stuff. I'd love to have you. It's going to be live. It's going to be an hour and a half from 5 to 6.30. I've got really cool people that are going to be part of that. You don't want to miss that. So just direct message me if you have an interest in participating in that. So um, let's get into the questions. All right. First question. This comes actually from Dan Sullivan. I took uh, Strategic Coach, which is a fantastic program. Uh, and I've read his books. And uh, it's a fantastic uh, program, coaching program for entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, And one of the greatest questions that I got out of that, um, which also I use and have used for many years in leading other people, is the following. And that is the question, and there's a name for it, I think he calls it the R factor question, but the question is a real simple one with a really powerful uh, wheel turning and uh, answer provoking uh, impact. The question is, if we were sitting here three years from today, looking back, and you were really happy with your progress, both personally and professionally, what's happened? 
Okay, so I'll say that again. If we're sitting here three years from today, looking back, what would need to happen personally and, and professionally for you to be happy or ecstatic with your progress? Okay, think about that. That's great because most people haven't thought that far out. In reality, I find I ask that question, most people don't have an answer. It's one of those that has a long silent moment after the question, but it definitely gets the wheels turning. And I want you to think about that. So as I ask that question, sitting here three years from now, looking back, what would need to happen both personally and professionally for you to be really, really happy, if not ecstatic with your progress? Okay, think about that. Take some notes, write, write down some answers. Uh, but what a great way to position the creation of your vision. Uh, what would need to happen? And then to be able to back into what are the things that need to happen, okay, in the next year to be on track to that three-year vision. What would need to happen over the next six months, maybe the next month? It's really easy to work backwards when you have that point in time. So that was question number one, courtesy of Dan Sullivan, strategic coach, uh, one of my favorites of all time. Uh, another question. This is another, I'll give credit again, where credit to do. This was a great book I read called the one thing by Gary Keller. Uh, and the one thing is the following is a question. What is the one thing that you can do such by doing it, everything else becomes either unnecessary or at least easier. So think about that. What's the one thing that you can do such by doing it, everything else becomes either easier or unnecessary. Now, I've thought about this and I've talked about this in other podcasts where uh, with my goals of my day, which are working out, I want to have a great workout, I want to drink a certain amount of water, I want to eat healthy, I want to be energized, I want to get enough sleep. What I found to make all those five or six things happen or even easier to do was that if I worked out in the morning as opposed to at night, that was the one thing for me with that category, those goals, that's the one thing that I need to do that I know that if I worked out in the morning, I got my workout done, it was a good workout, I had more energy for the day, I definitely had a higher likelihood of drinking more water, I definitely ate better because I felt like a little more obligated to do it, and I got better sleep, without a doubt, I was more tired at the end of the day. So that one thing was the answer working out in the morning for that. But think about it for your business. Maybe you're trying to market your business. Maybe you're trying to advance your career. You're trying to get that promotion. What's the one thing that you could do that would make that more likely uh, and everything else either unnecessary or easier? Um, if you're trying to make your relationship better, what's the one thing that I could do today that might make everything else a little easier or even unnecessary? Is there just one thing that you can think of? And I know there is that can help impact your health, your finances, your business, your relationships, whatever category of life you're thinking about. That's a great question and it is a great book, uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller. Okay, that's question number two. So let's go on to question number three. Here's a great one. And I'm, I'm gonna give a little credit to Brian Tracy who I was a, a uh, studied him years and years ago and this was a part of his question uh, that I, I morphed a little bit, but it's similar. And that is, if you had zero chance of failure, what would you do? Simple question, right? If you had zero chance of failure, what would you do? That's a great question to pose for yourself just about in general with life. What would you be doing if you, had, if you knew that success was eminent, that you knew that you were going to be successful? Failure was impossible. What would you do? 
But think about that from a business standpoint. Can a leader ask that question and have it open up all kinds of different possibilities? Let's face the facts that fear is the one thing that prevents us from doing things and going in new directions. Well, if we took that out and there was no fear of failure, we'd probably do things a lot differently. So if I can identify that and say, yeah, that's the path I would definitely go down and it is fear of failure that's preventing me, at least now I can make some better decisions as to, hey, you know what, is that really fear of failure or is it some other kind of fear or is there some way that I can overcome that so I can still go down that road? It's a lot easier to continue go down that road if you can kind of contain that to that type of fear. So really, really interesting question. All right, question number four. You've heard me talk about the fact, in fact, uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, I did an episode on the dumbest rules that hold back organizations. And I've seen, and thank you, by the way, some of you have sent me some additional ones, which I love. Uh, I'll compile them and I'll try and do a part two of that. But um, here's a great question. What rules should we be breaking? So as a leader, try asking that question to your team. What rules should we be breaking? So what it helps to do is really think through, okay, what are the rules that we're kind of abiding by? And are they just uh, the same old way we've done things? Or are they legitimate rules that are in there for a purpose? Most, most of the time, I find rules slow organizations down and hold them back from big growth. And I'll give you an example. I, I just think about, I was having a conversation with my son about golf. And we were talking about, we are golfing recently, we are talking about golf etiquette. And we are talking about things where situations where professional golfers have actually won a tournament and, uh, and lost the tournament by a technicality. So they might have had their caddy fill out the golf, the scorecard, and they signed it, which is attesting to the fact that that's accurate, but there was actually an error. Maybe it was off by a stroke. And technically, they won the, they won the tournament, but they ended up losing because they signed an incorrect scorecard. And my son's question was, well, that's dumb. What? That's so stupid. Well, who came up with that rule? I'm like, you know, I don't know. Golf is a really old sport, and that's just a rule that they've had forever. Well, you know, maybe it is a dumb rule. I mean, now you've got TV. You've got, you know, sportscasters that are covering golf tournaments. I mean, it's a little bit easier to verify a score. Maybe back, you know, 100 years ago or even 50 years ago, that was a little more necessary. I don't know. Do they just have that rule because it's always been there? Um, you know, and I, I remember going to a golf course, a very prominent country club in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, my friend had been on this waiting list for this golf course for like, I think it was six years. And it, it was very popular golf course, very expensive. I think he spent something like $50,000 to become a social member or some kind of smaller end member, which basically after six years of waiting gave him, and this was 50,000 up front, and then you had the membership dues, gave him the ability to play like, I don't know, two or three times a month at the max. You had certain windows of time. Uh, so you were kind of a lowest tier type of menu me member. And he invited me to play, which, hey, perfect. I'm super grateful. It's a beautiful course. Heard a lot about it. Um, and before we played, he sent us a list of rules. Like this was a full page of, I think, 10 to 12 different rules that we had to abide by. Everything from uh, noise level to the fact that we could not change our into our spikes in the parking lot, which if you've golfed before, you know, okay, that's 
like kind of how you do it, right? You don't drive in your spikes, you're driving your sandals, flip-flops, sneakers, and then you change in the parking lot. Well, you couldn't do that here. Uh, you had to wear a specific type of shirt, collared shirt. You had to wear your your hat a certain way. You had to wear a certain type of hat. Uh, I can't remember the other ones, but it was such, it was, I've never, I've golfed zillions of times in my life. I've never seen something like this. And I show up at his house to pick him up and I'm wearing my flip-flops and he comes to the door and he's, Looks stand at my flip flops. He's like, "But you're not you you you're not you can't change those in the parking lot. You know that. You know that, right?" I'm like, "Well, that's all that I, I you know I was messing around with him. I said, "Yeah, well, that's that's all that's what I was going to do. Why?" And he's like, "No, no, no, you can't do that." <laughs> I'm like, "It's okay, it's okay. Don't worry about. It. I'll change them in the car." Um, but I will tell you, we went through and we played this round of golf. Beautiful course. It was, and I I, I will honestly say, it was the most unfun round of golf I have ever played in my entire life because we had all these rules and he was paranoid and it was so anxious and stressful and just it wasn't fun it totally took the objective out of the game and the objective of golf is to have fun relax right people do it to relax this was the most uptight round of golf I've ever had and then we got in the uh, (laughs) we ended up getting in the um the um clubhouse having having lunch afterwards and we happened to be breaking another rule and the waiter came up the waiter actually asked and said came up to my friend and he said excuse me mr so-and-so uh the women over there have asked that uh you and your guests remove your hats um and uh and 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 my friend to his credit said no 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 no, no. We, you know i went to remove it i'm like hey well, i'm sorry man i don't want to get you in trouble uh and he's like no 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 uh, you keep your hat on, man. We're we're I pay to come here. I am we're keeping our hat on, <laughs> and he uh, he pushed back on that uh, again. Dumb rule. So any event, long answer. I know I digress here, but what rules should we be breaking? More times than not, rules can be dumb. They can slow you down, weight you down, prevent your creative thinking. Which rules do we need to be breaking today? Okay, that's question number four. Question number five. Here's a great one too. If I'm running an agency, an organization, a company, an organization, a team, I'm a teacher, I'm a parent, what I don't care, whatever it is, divisional manager for a, con- co- for a company, if the top person in my field, my equivalent, the top person in the country came in to take over my position, what would they do differently? I used to think about this a lot. So if I was running a, an, an office, a hundred offices in the country, if the top office manager or vice president or president or divisional lead or whatever, whatever it is, if they were to come in, if I'm a coach of a team, if they were to come in, the best one in the country, what would they do differently? It's a great thought. Hey, you know what? It made me think through personnel. Hey, who would they keep? Who would they not keep? What strategies would they go with? What would they, what would they totally change? What you know, real estate changes that they make, what policy changes, what marketing initiatives would they do, how would they change the culture, everything. It was awesome. And I always used to go through that exercise and it would inevitably bring about one or two good ideas that I didn't think about just because I kind of put myself in a different persona of coming in as an outsider looking at my organization. 
You have to fight that staleness. Leaders sometimes get into it where, hey, you know, we've just been, we're trucking along, you know? Uh, we're just bobbing and weaving. We're doing our thing, whatever. Well, no, you got to shake it up, right? You got to look as an outsider. If you are coming in to take over your own place and inject it with a whole new attitude and a whole new growth trajectory, what would you do? What would happen? Okay, great question. All right, last one I'll leave you with for today for part one. This is a great one. I use this all the time. Anytime I find that people, when they are going on a phone call, going into a meeting uh, with a prospect or a client, or they're going, they're organized, they're running a meeting as a leader, or they're doing a presentation as a speaker, whatever the case is, sometimes they don't have a clear idea of what their objective is. So I will give you this in two parts. One is I will always ask somebody I'm working with, okay, what are you, what's the desired outcome here? If we're going into a call, what's our objective? I don't want to just go through a call and just shoot the shit. I don't want to just, I mean, that's fine. If we want to do that, I'll meet you out somewhere. We'll grab beer. Uh, but I, I want to, I, what is the objective? If we're spending time together and we're having a meeting or whatever, what is the desired outcome? Um, you'd be surprised at how many people don't know this. I take it a step further. So anytime I'm doing a presentation, some of you have heard me say this, I use think, feel, do. And I got this from my good friend, Peter Velarde. Uh, think, feel, do, which is by the end of my presentation, what do I want my audience thinking? How do I want them feeling? And what do I want them doing? Okay, again, I'll say that. What do I want them thinking? How do I want them feeling? And what do I want them doing? It is outstanding. I'll usually write that down. Well, this presentation, I want them thinking that leadership is learnable. And yeah, these complex Fortune 50 strategies and leadership, I can apply to my own life in a really simple, easy way. Great. I want them feeling optimistic and hopeful and engaged and excited. What do I want them doing? I want them to schedule some time with me. Or I want them to implement rule number one, two, number three. With this, what do I want you thinking? I want you thinking, wow, there's a lot of power in asking the right questions. Not about always asking a ton of questions. It's not about doing the talking. It's asking one or two really powerful questions. This is pretty cool. Maybe I can learn this. Let me take one of these and try it. What do I want you feeling? Wow, this is really cool. I like this. It's interesting. It's helpful. I can't wait to the next podcast. Really cool. What do I want you doing? I want you trying it. Use it. Give me feedback. Okay, and we'll end on that note for part one. What else do I want you doing? Liking, subscribing, share this, give me comments, and September 22nd, attend the live Leadership Mastermind. Be my guest, 5 to 6.30 p.m. I guarantee it will be a worthwhile use of your time. Just direct message me for information. I'll tell you the login, all that kind of good stuff. And for now, have a great day. Stay tuned for part two two. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's j-o-h-n at l-a-u-r-i-t-o-g-r-o-u-p.com. Thanks. Lead on.